today we're going to be presenting a ground, I would say groundbreaking piece of interdisciplinary research that we've been working on. Mm-hmm. I mean, paradigm, paradigm shifting. Paradigm shifting, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's an original contribution to the field, I think. Mm-hmm. Of Buffy studies. <laughs> <laughs> of linguistics too. Okay. Of, of definitely of interdisciplinary Buffy the Vampire Slayer linguistics studies. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, um, so I, so we're kind of bringing different areas of expertise to to this uh, mm-hmm. this piece of research that we're doing together. So my area of expertise that I'm bringing would be kind of research on language and migration and identity, and your area of expertise would be, I think, specifically Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this case. But you oh, do yeah, study yeah. film and TV as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's kind of uh, irrelevant compared to the the depth of knowledge that I have about um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing a PhD in, in film and TV. But you're, yeah, you're. It's a that knowledge is eclipsed by your Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer absolutely fandom. Eclipsed, absolutely eclipsed. Yeah, yeah. And um, we also make a podcast together, which any listeners of Accentricity should know is probably as different from eccentricity as it's possible for a podcast to be. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out like which, which face to wear now for this interview. <laughs> oh, I think, I think we should have our Buffy faces on. But yeah, yeah our, so on. our podcast, so um, our podcast is where we watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer together and invite people to watch it with us mm-hmm. um, and then discuss each episode, usually over a few beers. Yeah, yeah. And we really need to rein that in a little bit for the editing. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Um, I'm only having yeah, one so. beer tonight. Well, yeah. maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this is, I would say, a crossover episode as well as a groundbreaking piece of research. Which is great, actually, because, I mean, uh, I've been doing, I've been, you know, kind of swatting up on my on my Buffy, Buffy and Angel lore today, which has required me to kind of go between the two shows um, on crossover episodes, as it were, a lot of them. Ah, so, you know, very good. I feel like we're in quite a meta sort of uh, structure here today. Very good. So, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, the linguistics of vampirism. Vampirism? Um, vam- vampirism, yeah. Vampiricism? Mm-hmm. Vampiricism. That sounds like <laughs> vampires that you can prove are real or something. <laughs> so, we- I think we're going to structure this episode as uh, you would a research paper. Oh, are we? I okay, so. well, I mean, you just use me as you see fit, because I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the chronological data, <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> and you structure me. It could be very, very loosely structured, but I think that was probably our introduction, right? Like, it wasn't yeah. a very formal, <laughs> formal one. No, no, no. Um, so I'm going to bring you into the literature review, Ash. Oh, great. I'm okay. going to tell you a little bit about um, previous research, which is setting the scene for our research. Okay, um, and at first you won't see what it has to do with vampires, but I'll take you there, I promise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, generally, when a small child is learning to speak, um, a kind of typically developing neurotypical child is learning to, um, is learning to speak, they'll initially acquire the languages of their main caregivers and also kind of the accents and speech patterns of their caregivers. And then when we get a bit older, 
um, so starting school, we begin to move towards the speech patterns of our peer groups and the wider community, generally. So my PhD research was looking at what happens when children move from one place to another after early childhood. So when they're kind of not, you know, like school age or older. Um, so if you move to a new community when you're, for example, seven, are you likely to completely acquire the speech patterns of the new community or will you kind of retain some linguistic features from your previous community? Um, and then kind of one of the things I was looking at was what kind of role does age play in that? So is it, the sa is it different if you move when you're 12 or if you move when you're 15? Um, and the kind of background to this is lots of linguistic research has established that um, and this is kind of something that a lot of people sort of w would assume is kind of like a, a common sense assumption anyway. But lots of linguistic research has established that younger children tend to have much more flexible linguistic systems. Um, so they're able to acquire new languages and accents much more easily than older children and adults. So if we move to a new place when we're teenagers, our accents might not change as much as if we move when we're little. And then if we move to a new place when we're adults, our accent might not change that much at all. So I think you're quite an interesting example of this. Oh, yes. Okay. <coughs> Will you, so how old were you when you moved to Glasgow? Um, I was 17. I was uh, just shy of 18 when I moved here. So if you'd moved to Glasgow when you were like, from, from, from Donegal, when mm -hmm. you were like five, you would sound completely Glaswegian now probably yeah yeah most likely so yeah. do you think your accent has changed at all oh yeah yeah I mean it's uh, I think a lot of people say this when they leave Ireland when they say like, it hasn't really changed it's just got clearer uh, which is I think quite common like I think we think it doesn't change we just but we just have to speak slower like um, like speak rounder or whatever so when I arrived here you know uh, people did have problems understanding me because uh, I spoke really fast and stuff um, but then, you know, one thing, the f but then you get things kind of like, <laughs> kind of, um, teased out of you as well too. So like, obviously a really common kind of, uh, feature of Northern Irish accent would be like the kind of really narrow sound around O-W ending words. So like, now, hi, whatever. So, you know, um, everyone would be like, it's now, it's now or whatever. So like the, f literally now. like within, within the first... <laughs> Within the first three months, like I think I went back at Christmas after only being in Glasgow for like three months and was saying like now, uh, like and 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 then when I was at home, everyone was obviously making fun of me for saying now because it just sounded like really like um, uh, unnatural and inorganic, whatever. But now I would say now. Wait, what do I say? Well, How did so I say you, it? I think your sounds <laughs> like in between my mm. Scottish one and what I would think of as a Northern Irish. Yeah, and um, so something that I definitely have uh, that would be more like Scottish is I think my double O's. Like I'd your say goose, like moon. Your goose fell, yeah. we call it. Yeah, so I say goose. So I noticed moon. this so much when you say the word, uh, what's the name of the video streaming service that uh, most people would use for putting up videos and watching videos online? Oh, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds so Scottish when you say YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, YouTube. <laughs> Um, but I quite like it. Like I think it's like yeah, you can tell you can tell that like I'm 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 from Northern Ireland or whatever. But there's definitely like enough. There's enough little things. So the people um, from 
Northern Ireland hear you sounding Scottish? Uh, yeah, people say, oh God, you sound really Scottish. No, people say that to me, but I don't hear it. Like I hear it when I say YouTube or food or good. But um, one time when I was actually in uh, Argentina one time, I, I met somebody, like I ran into someone who was like getting off a bus or whatever. Like uh, basically two buses were passing and everyone got out and were chatting to each other. It was like some travelers going one way, some travelers going the other way. Some girl heard me talking to somebody else and she came over and was like, you're Scottish. Because she was Scottish and she was really excited. Ah. And I was like, no, I'm not, but I live there. And then I was really like, oh, she thought I was Scottish. I felt like really happy about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think so. It's, it's So I guess like the key thing in terms of kind of the theory or whatever and what we would expect from previous research and how you line up with it is that you have picked up some Scottish features having lived in... How many, how many years have you lived in Scotland now? Oh, my God. Uh, 13... 13 yeah is that right yeah Yeah. 13 years yeah and you were you know you were pretty young when you moved but you weren't a baby like you were like a fully grown i mean you've seen you've seen photos of me from then (laughs) (laughs) i was quite baby faced you you did look like a real baby but you you probably had like a fully developed (laughs) body i don't know we we Uh, imagine maybe not i don't know (laughs) Uh, um, so you looked really young you were you were a teenager but like an older teenager and but yeah so the kind of key one of the key things i think though is that nobody would really mistake you for being for having grown up in scotland like nobody would not hear the irish in your accent yeah no i mean certainly anybody who knows what an irish accent is or Mm. you know who knows what a northern irish accent is you know maybe if it was someone came over from texas they you know they might not be able to tell quite the difference but yeah anyone who's familiar with the accents will be able to broadly place my origins so, so, so the difference between you moving when you're five and almost certainly picking up a Scottish accent and then you moving when you're 17 and almost certainly not fully acquiring the new accent. So this sometimes gets called in, in the literature, um, the critical period is the kind of idea. And the idea is that children have a period of development starting from birth in which they're able to acquire new linguistic systems very easily. And Mm -hmm. some people have tried to kind of pinpoint when this period closes and estimates generally fall between about seven and about 14. So some people are like, after seven, you're less likely to, your your kind of flexibility for new linguistic systems starts to close up. And some people say that's a bit older than that. Um, But... It's important to note that the idea of the critical period is contested. So, for example, some people argue that our linguistic flexibility actually decreases gradually across the lifespan from birth to old age. Mm -hmm. Um, So some people would argue that a 30-year-old might be more likely to pick up a new accent to a greater extent than a 60-year-old. I mean, that would explain Lindsay Lohan. (coughs) It would explain Lindsay Lohan. So how old is Lindsay Lohan? She's not much older than us. She's probably like mid-30s. Yeah. You know, and Madonna, though. Oh, well, this is it. So there are lots of <laughs> kind of... If there if there is a rule, there are lots of exceptions to it. There are lots of kind mm-hmm. of stories that don't quite fit. Um, and it might be wrong to kind of think of this being a mechanism for new languages that just snaps shut. Um, there's also kind of complications, like possibly some linguistic features are much more easily acquired than others. And there's probably different... I've been kind of talking about it as if picking up a new accent is the same as picking up a new language. 
Um, but in terms of these kind of age effects, it's probably quite different. So there are lots of adults that pick up new languages and kind of, you know, end up sounding like they could have been speaking them their whole lives. Um, uh, it's probably safe to say that it's rarer for an adult to move between two places where the same language spoken with a different accent and to completely acquire the new accent. Um, and yeah, I kind of have some thoughts and feelings about this. I kind of suspect that maybe the reason that adults don't tend to completely acquire new accents after moving to new places, there's probably quite a big role being played by the social as well as the cognitive. So like regional accents and social accents really strongly tied to kind of regional and social identities. And we don't necessarily gain access to these identities simply by living in a place. So in your case, you're, you're not Glaswegian. Mm -hmm. And like maybe talking Glaswegian would be like laying claim to something that isn't yours. Yeah, I mean, I have a funny example about that is, um, oh my God. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we're, we used to live in Deniston. Um, I was registered with the doctor uh, in Brigton and I mentioned uh, somewhere I was working uh, I was I was at the, at the the music charity I was at, at the time Playlist for Life and I mentioned them they were like oh where where are you going to get this thing and I was like oh it's it's in it's in uh, Bridgeton uh, oh, and no, then the guy was from he was well he was from Glasgow and he was like laughed at me he's like it's not Bridgeton it's Brigton right so then I kind of went okay it's Brigton it's Brigton but then every time I said Brigton to people who are from Glasgow they're like you can't say Brigton. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it just sounds weird you saying it. <laughs> so I just call it, like I don't know, like South Deniston. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally a thing, though. I think there's totally a thing of like, you know, that's, that's you know, you can you can live in Glasgow, you can, but you can't, you don't necessarily, we don't all have the same access to all identities all of the time. And maybe mm -hmm. when we move to a new place when we're children, maybe children's identities are a bit more flexible. And maybe that's part of the reason their linguistic systems are more flexible. I'm sure there's cognitive stuff going on too. And I'm aware that like, I'm more interested in the social side of language. So I always tend to think that that's the explanation. I'm sure it's a bit of both. Um, but anyway, the kind of thing that I wanted to highlight with this is that um, there's been research on the acquisition of new linguistic varieties in adults. And the results are fairly mixed, but I have never read about or heard of a situation where someone's moved from one place to another as an adult and acquired a new accent to the point that they had, there's no trace of the accent they had before the move. Um, you would think that they're from the place that they moved to at some point in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, even Lindsay Lohan and Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> so things have happened with their accents as adults, yeah. but you wouldn't be like what happened with madonna she went like she had an english accent yeah yeah she I mean, did she go back accent. again i think she went back a little yeah. bit but um, she never no, but... you never probably would have mistaken her from someone who'd lived their whole life in england no no not probably but there is a gap in the literature and <laughs> this is what you do at the end of your lit review isn't it <laughs> where you're uh -huh, like uh -huh. this is the gap in the literature so is this how you write a lit review i should really learn my phd <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is kind of how you write a lit review. I don't know. <laughs> but um, there's, so I've identified that there's a gap in the literature and this is the gap that we're going to, f to fill with this study. 
all of the research to date, as far as I'm aware, has focused on human beings. To my knowledge, there has been no research into accent change over the course of an immortal lifespan, such as a vampire might have. So now we're going to address this gap in the research using some of your knowledge. Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> I, I, I have some theories. Excellent. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm bringing quite a lot of like, I know I know maybe I should really just be coming with like kind of the, the bare facts and that oh, no, you, no. you know, but um, no, I could I couldn't help but 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 like analyze as I was uh, as I was. Uh, what, what do you say? Like um, immersing myself in the data. Oh, no, I mean, this is that's how you do. That's um, <laughs> true collaboration, isn't it? Yeah, Collaborative yeah. work. I can't just rely on you to be my fact finder. Uh-huh. Um, by the so, way, we should probably assume no previous knowledge of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for our audience. Oh, okay, so we there's a there's a double pronged warning there, which is that and and if if you do intend to watch Buffy, if you okay. don't have any knowledge about Buffy, this this sort of spoils <laughs> like the entirety of Buffy, the right. entirety of Angel. So you know, so that's, really, that's just, only people who just aren't interested in Buffy or who've already watched it all. Yeah, be. either okay. like either you love it. Or you don't really care. You're just here for the for the linguistics. Okay. Um, and in between, you know what? Just just save it. Save it. It doesn't take long to watch it all. Do you know? Go watch I mean, it all and come back to this episode. We're in a pandemic. You've yeah. got time. I mean, that's basically why we decided to to watch all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer together and make a podcast about it. Is because like, what else do you do in a pandemic, really? Yeah. What else? What else? But come up with you know just absolute mad theories about the linguistics of vampires, the sociolinguistics of vampires. Sociolinguistics of vampires. Yeah. Um, I I think maybe do you want to like guide me through kind of what you want out of me, and I'll I'll respond, and we can kind of go from there. So we're going to be talking about some of the vampires in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Have we decided? Are we going to focus just? I think so. We're we're talking about Angel, right? So we're. I think I've I've focused on in my research here on kind of um, a comparative case mm-hmm. between Angel and Spike, and Spike is really there to test the Angel case against because exactly. Angel is Angel is the case that I mean you know sociolinguistically is the most fascinating, mm. right? Spike his accent changes, but not not to the same sort of baffling extent. But then as part of that kind of case uh, comparison, we do have to look at the, the, the social grouping that they kind of like worked in. Mm. And um, so basically in Buffy and Angel, uh, there was a group of four who vampires that came to be kind of known among the fans as the, as the Fanged Four. Mm. The Fanged Four is Angel, mm-hmm. uh, his sire, Darla, uh, sire here means the person who makes you a vampire. So it's sort of like your 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 vampire mommy, you know. Um, and then uh, Drusilla and Spike. Um, so Drusilla is the sire of Spike. Mm. And there's kind of there's a family line there because it goes Darla sired Angel, Angel sired Drusilla, and then Drusilla sired Spike. So. Um, in order to understand, I think, some part of Angel's accent um, shifting, you do need to look at the kind of relationships he's had in his life. Mm. And the oldest member of uh, any group that we know he's affiliated with isn't actually his father. It would be Darla. Um, we actually see a scene from Darla from 1609. That's the that's the, like, the furthest back flashback we get of all of them, right? And... Um, uh darla is dying in bed and she is in uh, a place that's titled as the virginia colony 
Okay, so she is a early inhabitant of the, you know, the colonies that were set up in North America, we presume, mm. right? Um, very hard to place her accent because she's got such a husky voice. It's mm. a very, very husky voice. Um, but she has a kind of vaguely American accent. Uh, she's kind of a fully American accent, like when we see her in the present day. But in, in this flashback, it's like... Um, you know, it sounds like the past, but it's very much American, mm. you know. So that's just to say that Darla is American. <coughs> We're kind of presented her as American, or maybe she's British, but she, you know, died in America. She moved there, but she's an American, right? Mm. So then I'm going to zoom forward to Galway, 1753, mm. where Master Liam is uh, beckoning a young housemaid into the awning, Uh so Master Liam uh, is uh, the name of Angel as a mortal. He was called Master Liam. He was Liam. He was Liam. Um, uh-huh. But because, you know, they basically they, were, they, they seemed to be a, a mercantile family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did find out that they were presumably Irish because uh, I've got a clip I'll play you later that proves that. Um, but uh, apparently in the silk trade, his dad was like a silk merchant or something like that there. So, you know, they've, they've got some help. Uh, in the house so that says something about Angel's social status right Mm. like he's presumably middle class or merchant class or or something as as a human Mm -hmm. and he's got the absolute worst 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 accent in the world so this is when things will probably for the purposes of this episode (laughs) have to completely suspend disbelief and presume that the accent which the actor David Boreanaz does in the Angel being alive, Master Liam flashback scenes is an Irish accent. So now what we need to know about Angel when he's a human is that he's got a very, very bad relationship with his father. Okay. Very bad relationship with his father. We only ever see them fighting. Uh, mm. Presumably because Angel won't take on the responsibilities of being, you know, the the kind of the, we, pres- we we kind of gather the, the 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 eldest sort of son or the only son possibly. Um, He'd rather go out drunk and be carousing uh, and, and all that. Um, so there is an episode of Angel with lots of flashbacks uh, that show his father just goading him, shouting at him, saying what a worthless, you know, uh, son he's raised, etc. Uh, this is an argument that Angel and his father have as Angel leaves the house. As a human, he seems to kind of like leave home, run away from home because of, because of the relationship with his father being so bad. As you wish, Father. Always. Just as you wish. It's a son I wished for! A man! Instead, God gave me you a terrible disappointment. Disappointment? A more dutiful son you couldn't have asked for. My whole life you told me in word, in glance, what it is you've required of me, and I've lived down to your every expectation now, haven't I? Wow. So... So, there's quite a lot to say about the dad's accent as well. Yes, well, the dad has... um, I, I, we, we would call both of those accents stage Irish, I think. Uh, which is to say, bad Irish. <laughs> very, very bad. But we're not going to dwell on the fact that they're bad. Um, we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna like, um, we're going to suspend disbelief. We're going to approach the, the show as, as a kind of a, an item in itself, as a world Believing in itself. Believing what it tells us, which yeah. is that... 
these people live in Ireland in 1750s, did you say? Mm, 1753 in Galway. 1753 now, w- in Galway. when we say Galway, it's referred to as a village quite a lot. It's like in his home village, in his village, in his village. Galway's a town. Galway's a city. Yeah, I've been to Galway. I've been clubbing in Galway. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean <laughs> I'm presuming it was a... It was a town before it was a city or whatever. So, but yeah. but again, I'm gonna I'm gonna accept I'm gonna think uh, and accept here that they really meant a town or a village within the county of Galway. You know. Okay. 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 Um, so this is he's you know if we accept that it's it's some rural village in the county of Galway. Okay. Okay. So I think what's really striking to me here is the relationship between Angel and his father, and and maybe how that might affect his relationship with his own accent. Uh, okay. okay, just moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he's ashamed to call him his son, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, all we get is antagonism between the two of them. Mm. Um, so then, uh, so after moving out of home and, you know, carousing for a <coughs> while, I think, I don't know if it's the same year or within like maybe one or two years is when Angel becomes a vampire. Um, mm. Now... According to the lore, which is a little bit contradictory, because, you know, they didn't always keep track of it, but he's supposed to be probably 26, maybe 28, when he gets turned into a vampire. And he gets turned into a vampire by Darla. Uh, He is out, he's drunk one night, and he sees this beautiful woman in fine clothing uh, walking down an alley in his village. (laughs) But it doesn't look like... It looks quite a developed, you know, stage Irish past so i i'm i kind of think it's the same but whatever uh and he follows her down the alley and he starts speaking to her so uh we can is it possible he like lived in the village but like went into the town to party um i mean he'd spent a fortune on like horse ubers yeah (laughs) but you're a pretty thing where are you from Never been anywhere myself. Always wanted to see the world, but I could show you. Could you then? Things you've never seen, never even heard of. Sounds exciting. It is. And frightening. I'm not afraid. Show me. Show me your world. Um. So I don't know. Is there anything that struck you about that scene? Well, suspending disbelief about about his accent. <clears throat> yes. Ah, uh, he's kind of shifting quite a bit, isn't he? Between no, he's not because we're just he couldn't have an American accent at this point, so we're ignoring the fact that David no, Boreanaz yeah. is sometimes slipping into an American accent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for me, my reading of this scene, first of all, is um, well, just 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 enjoy just enjoy hearing him speak because it's, it's oh my god. Um, <laughs> But uh, Darla here has a noticeably American accent to to me, right? So this is this American kind of fancy woman. She's dressed up in very fine clothes. She's incredibly attractive. Um, And she arrives in in Ireland and he's got the Irish accent. She's American and he's attracted to her. And and what do they talk about? He asks where she's from and Mm. she says, around, everywhere. That's a really good impression. Yeah, oh god, I love her voice. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Good, yeah. It's Everywhere. amazing. Um, so she so my reading of this is Darla is the new world. She represents the new world. She Aww. represents the new world in the fact that it's America. But the conversation they have is about how Angel's never been anywhere. He's always wanted to see the world. 
So I think we have to maybe think about the kind of aspirations that are involved, just in the foundations. His accent hasn't changed just yet, but what is Darla to Angel? She's his entryway into, obviously, demonhood, into becoming a vampire, into immortality. But she's also his gateway to the world. Mm. It's through Darla that he gains this mobility, right, mm. to travel the world. Um, so I think I think that's quite interesting there to think about think about maybe how his first interaction with an American accent might be uh, supported by uh, certain desires he has as a human. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Um, now the next clip is uh, he goes uh, back home and he kills his his family. He kills his father. Is he um, a vampire now? He's a vampire now, yeah. So Darla Darla makes him a vampire. It's a very sexy scene. Mm. And uh, he goes home, and the first thing he does is he kills his little sister, and then he kills his father. And he seems to take quite a lot of pleasure in killing his father. Mm. Uh, Then Darla comes to meet him, and they have a little exchange about, um, I guess, the idea of power dynamics between him and his father. Now I have one. Are you sure? Of course. I proved who had the power here. You think? What? Your victory over him took but moments. Yes? But his defeat of you will last lifetimes. What are you talking about? You can't defeat me now. Nor can he ever approve of you. In this world, or any other. What we once were informs all that we have become. What does she say to him? She says, what we once were informs all that we have become. Oh. Now, sociolinguistically, I don't know how that sits with you, but that felt important <laughs> to me. What it was felt it to one, me... What's we once, what we once w- were... Informs all that we have become. Interesting. So, you know, in this scene, Darla is explaining to Angel that while he might feel he's won because he's killed his father, the fact that he was, I guess, slave to that desire, to that passion of revenge, to that passion of trying to kind of rid himself of the yoke of his father, that actually proves his father won all along, right? That that kind of, that, that need for approval from his father um, is actually <clears throat> what was motivating him. Um, so, again, just thinking about you know, the, 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 the relationship with Angel's father doesn't end at that point. You know, Darla says, like, he brings it with him mm. into being a vampire, into moving forward, and into presumably all of his accent changes that we, that we come to mm. enjoy. I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. No, I like it, though. I like where you're going. <laughs> okay. Take me with you, Ash. Okay, um... Right, so the next scene is, uh, so Darla, uh, we, I didn't really, because, you know, we could go on and on, you know, to, the, to the, the end of days, but Darla was sired by a vampire called the Master. Mm. The Master is a really ugly guy with a red nose. Um, his nose, is, his mouth is really red, mm. isn't it? Oh, it's horrible. It looks really uncomfortable, ho- really itchy. Yeah, he, he kind of looks like a pug. Mm. Um, so uh, 
he was he sired uh, Darla in you know the 1600s or whatever. So Darla has a, a very intense relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's kind of one of his disciples, and he weirdly, despite it being 1600s, always spoke with a kind of a Californian uh, mo- <laughs> modern accent. Yeah, I guess maybe he exists out of time, you hmm. know. Or maybe his uh, accent has changed, or do we see him in the 1600s? We see him in the oh, 1600s so okay. siring Darla. So okay. we see that his accent has kind of always been this kind of modern. Mm. Um, and uh, so anyway, Darla brings Angel to see the master, uh, introduces him, a bit like showing Angel to her father, yeah. really, her, her, her vampire daddy, you know? Uh, so the next scene is um, Angel talking to the master. And um, so I should have, uh, just to reiterate, Angel became a vampire, I think, in uh, 1753, 1754 or something. Um, so this is now 1760 in London. This is the first time we see him outside of Ireland. And uh, Darla mentions that on the way from Ireland, they went through South Wales and Northern England. So we're starting to see Angel moving through mm. the world. Okay. And this is him talking to the master four years after becoming a vampire. Have you been above lately? It's quite nice. Me, I can never live in a rat infested stink hole like this. Or never signs up. But I gotta have myself a proper bed or I'm a terror. Isn't that right, love? So as we can see, in 1760, he's just arrived in, um... He's just arrived in, uh, he in London? London. He's in London. And his accent hasn't changed too much. He's no. been in the company yeah. of Darla for a few years now. Um, still that really specific Irish accent that he's always had. Mm. So to talk a little bit about how Angel starts moving then, he starts kind of going through... Uh, Europe with Darla we start to see sort of reference to the places they're going um, in 1764 he's in New York but in 1765 he's in France mm. and in 1767 he's in Marseille specifically um, and uh, actually when they're in France Darla says oh when we were in Italy you said we should go to France now you say we should go to Romania so you know they're, they're definitely they're moving all around Europe mm-hmm. Uh, within the first decade of him becoming a vampire, really. Mm. Um, And then, let's see, 1771, he's in Rome, and we hear that he was in North Africa before that. Mm. So he's really been all over the place with Darla. And then, let's see. um, Yeah, he's in New England in 1836, or 1786. 1786. Uh, then he's in Dublin in 1838, so back to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Then he's in London in 1860. Oh. Still with Darla. Okay. They seem to separate from time to time and then get back together. But okay. Darla is very much his kind of traveling partner. Um, so that's been almost 100 years with this yeah. woman. And yet his accent is still Irish. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in 1836. In... 1860. 1860 okay cool. in 1860 so a hundred years with this kind of with this american glamorous woman that he's in love with and uh, you know more or less and and it's still irish mm. um and she's also his mom mm-hmm. in the and she's also his vampire mommy so i won't keep going chronologically here for a moment because that will cross us into spike and we want to talk about him slightly separately uh basically the story of angel is uh 
he ends up uh, well their, 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 their group grows um, the first thing that um, we see is him siring Drusilla mm. so Drusilla is who becomes the vampire mommy of Spike so this is kind of important Drusilla is um, from London this is 1860 uh, I believe in London uh, she's British she's got a proper kind of Oliver Twist British accent it's like very kind of Mockney, Mockney accent um the actress Juliet Landau is American, um, but uh, it's a, it's a beautiful. I, I actually love her accent because it's sort of, it's 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 what it's supposed to be, um, and uh, then Drusilla ends up siring Spike, and Spike is also British. So the four of them, the fanged four, who spend years together, kind of you know tearing up Europe. They are uh, Darla, who's American. Angel, who's Irish, and then Drusilla and Spike, who are British. So that's his social grouping at this point. In 1894, he's in Romania with Spike, and I want to show you, like, 1894, what his accent okay. sounded like. Uh, so the situation is that Angel and Spike are, have both been kind of taken prisoner uh, by some demon called the Immortal. And... Uh, we just get a, a nice example of, of, of what Angel's voice uh, sounds like at this point. Take your best shot. I'll snatch your little wee sticks out of the air and spend the next fortnight shoving them slowly up your arse. Nice. What did you think of that sentence? Shoving them slowly up your arse. And little wee sticks as well. Little wee sticks. Mm. Not wee little sticks. I don't know. Would you think wee little? I would say wee little wee rather little than sticks, wee. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, little wee. Little wee. Yes, yeah. But the point is, this is set. This is whatever. Eighteen ninety four in Romania. He's still got his accent. He's still got very, very strong, sig- like kind of um, signposts for his accent because mm. arse, mm. arse, and wee uh, would both be kind of it would signal an, an Irish accent, really. You know, together because um, wee is obviously also Scottish. But you do you say arse as much in Scotland? I feel like arse is. Slightly more Irish. Could be wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say it that much, but that's because because yeah. I don't have a potty mouth. No, I'm kidding. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, I don't know. It's just not a word I use much. Okay, okay. So, eighteen uh, eighteen ninety four. That was him being strung up. Uh, that was him speaking. Uh, you know, to people who are pointing crossbows at him just for just for um, the. Uh, context there, and then in eighteen ninety eight. This is when he he gets cursed with a soul. On their kind of while they're tearing through Europe, Angel kills a young uh, Romany girl, a, a gypsy as she's called in the show. And as a vengeance against her, uh, her her people curse Angel. They curse him with a soul. Um, the re- that doesn't sound like a curse, but the, it's a curse within Buffy because it means that he has the memory of all of the the awful violence he's inflicted upon people for hundreds of years uh but he's got a soul so he can feel bad about it so the idea is that he like lives forever with the with the guilt of what he's done in 1900 angel turns up in um china during the boxer rebellion and this is interesting because to me this is the first time we start to hear his accent shift uh, the so basically, you know, Darla and everyone has found out about his soul thing. He's left them. He's been away for two years, but he comes back. He decides he wants to come back. I, I don't know. He wants to suppress the soul and see if he can still be evil. And uh, 
This is, uh, he comes back to Darla. Darla confronts him and uh, she threatens to kill him. So this is what he says to, to Darla at this moment when she's threatening to kill him. I'm living off of... Come on, this should be nothing for you. Go ahead, Darla. Make sure you cut clean to the bone. Put the blade in the wall. His accent is quite different. And I mean, sometimes you might think it's a bit hard to say because he's starting to speak with a very gravelly voice as well too. Much like mm -hmm. Darla, hard to kind of place, but that's the first time you see that the, the Irish accent starts to disappear. And it's within two years of not having a soul. Um, he still hasn't been to America. He still hasn't mm. been to America, but it's starting to become an American accent. Now, does this maybe signify his desire to blend in with the group? He's really trying to... So the way I see it, he's really trying to convince Darla to take him back, despite, you know, the fact that he's not a demon anymore. Mm. Um, could his shifting into an American accent be in some way mirroring her accent just out of that, that, uh, that like, desire to... Um, yeah, prove himself to prove that he is like with prove he's one of them, you know. Yeah, I suppose I don't specifically know the linguistic. The this is the problem with there being such a gap in the research is that I don't think anyone's specifically done research into people or vampires who are trying to cover for their lack of a soul through accommodation, mm -hmm. uh, linguistic accommodation. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not a thing. I just think we haven't gathered enough evidence really yet. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think, the, I think the soul, the arrival of the soul is when the accent starts changing or something, do you know? It really seems mm -hmm. to be, yeah. And that's that's interesting. I wasn't really expecting to, to be talking much about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I hadn't made that connection before. Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily the soul. To me, it's just that, that, that kind of like take me back into your group, do you know? Mm -hmm. um, so now what happens anyway is uh, he, he tries to get back in with them. It doesn't really work. He gets kind of banished again. And then in 1902, we see Angel arrive on Ellis Island. Uh -huh. So 1902, that's when he moves. So if we do like a little, just to kind of like, re, re, like do a bit of math again. He was uh, left Ireland in, in 1760. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was a human up until 1754, 5, around then when he was like 26 years old. So he's 26 years old. He becomes a vampire. He stays in Ireland for maybe like four or five years. And mm -hmm. then he moves to London. And then 142 years where he's been kind of going through Europe, cutting a bloody swab through it, uh, mm -hmm. he arrives in America. And when he arrives in America, he's been kind of like, you know, feasting on rats, trying to avoid killing innocents and things like that there. So I think that the next clip should show this is the first time we see him speak with an American accent that's like very visibly or very, very audibly has like um, a, a very American character to it. Take a hike, Betty. Scram. Take a hike, Betty. Scram. Scram. So this was just, uh, it was a very, very small scene where he saves a little, uh, woman's dog and she's like, how can I ever repay you? And then he, he tells her to take a hike, Betty, scram. Because um, he's, he's trying to distance himself from mortals, do you know? Yeah. And at this point, he sounds more American than Americans. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it's, 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 it's like stage American. Ah. Now... One theory we could have here is that Angel is trying to be inconspicuous as well. So 
one of the theories is that it's sort of almost like an unconscious thing or or or, or i guess like i you know i think one of the theories is that he's trying to follow darla's accent or darla's accent in some way is an aspirational accent to him do you know i feel like that's maybe more of a freudian reading uh than a sociolinguistic one um we also see that he's got a very bad relationship with his father so you know perhaps like the first opportunity to rid himself of that accent subconsciously because as darla says do you know that will always be with him what we were informs all that we have become or something like that but he doesn't want that to be the case exactly so he is very 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 like noticeably trying to be an american and this is 1920 Mm. 1920 so he's only been there for 18 years but he's already picked up this accent now we also don't know how long he stayed uh, in any place he was in in europe right he could have been moving around quite a lot never quite settling long enough to pick up an accent of one particular place we don't know if he was learning the languages of these places that they were going to either you know that's also a gap in our knowledge and let's see 17 1902 uh yeah and basically that's that's the case with Angel. so 7 1920s his accent gets established uh, we see him in 1943 in chicago he's got the same accent in uh 1977 in detroit um he's got some great long hair and he's listening to uh barry manilow's mandy on the jukebox um and then in 1996 uh in manhattan he's wandering the streets eating rats and uh he is called by this weird guy called whistler who says you need to see something and then he shows angel buffy from a distance and then angel decides to you know become a better man because of it it's also quite creepy because buffy's 16 and he's like 260 or whatever um but you know so I mean, I feel like, yeah, with any kind of good experiment or whatever, you kind of, you need something. Basically, we're in the situation where, as you say, there's a gap in the research. Yes. Right? And because there's a gap in the research, that means that there's very little for us to compare with in the existing research, in the extant That's right. So at the moment, we're kind of comparing this kind of quite remarkable linguistic transformation that Angel undergoes. And we're kind of comparing that at the moment with uh with human linguistics but um Mm -hmm. but yeah i think what's really emerging from this in our discussion session discussion section is that um human linguistics and vampire linguistics are possibly really quite different Mm -hmm. and so i feel like we possibly need another point of comparison um in vampire linguistics yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think we need to test. We need to test our, our our theories, which and and I think they're theories rather than theory, right? I feel like they go in very different directions from each other in lots of ways. Um, so the best comparison that we can do, I think, is um, Spike. Mm. Now, Spike uh, is more or less Angel's grandson in vampire terms. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. He's his grandson, but there's also a kind of a rivalry between them. There's a friendship between them. There's quite an erotically charged yeah. friendship um, in, in quite a lot of the flashbacks, actually. We're um, using this kind of metaphorical idea of vampire parentage and siring, but like, I guess the difference is that there's no taboo about um, having sexual tension with your the vampire that made you. 
yeah and i mean it is it's a very it's 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 to be read as a very kind of erotic kind of act between the yes. two and and this the act of siring is is a weird thing because it has that sort of attraction kind of relationship thing but it also has the parental thing which you know are two different two different um uh things that will impact on accent acquisition really mm. to different degrees right mm. so that's that's why it's quite interesting with vampires because they kind of there's, they have sort of both in the same figure sometimes. Um, now, Spike. Uh, Spike was born uh, William Pratt. That's his name. Uh, William Pratt. And uh, he came from, we presume, a quite comfortably middle class, if not upper class. Uh, we, he, although... Um, he might actually be like not upper class enough for the milieu he runs in because this is kind of a point of tension in his human life spike is um he's quite a sensitive man he's a poet he writes uh, awful poetry and uh he's sort of i guess sort of um a bit modeled on like kind of wordsworth or something like that and now this is in 1880 in london uh so he's very, very close with his mother. This is the first point of contrast with Angel. Spike has a very, very good relationship with his mother. Very, very close. Seems like him and his mother are like companions in life. Do you know? Mm. Um, they, uh, you see him reading poetry to her. She's being really encouraging, wonderful. She's also quite ill. She's pearly and he takes care of her. And you get the sense that, you know, his mother is the person in his life that really has the most time for him and that he appreciates the most. Uh, but he does have an object of affection, and it's this this woman, Cecily. Uh, so he's been writing poetry about his love. Uh, uh, this uh, I say love. You know, she doesn't really seem to notice him very well, but um, you know, his 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 enchantment by her. And uh, Cecily, uh, much like all of the, she, well, we meet we meet him. The first time we see a flashback to to Spike is uh him sitting in a very very fancy kind of drawing room where there's like a party with lots of very fancy upper class english people there's hors d'oeuvres being served um so i think yeah the, the, i'd like to play you a clip of what spike sounded like uh in his human life to begin with okay yeah an hors d'oeuvres sir oh uh, quickly i'm the very spirit of vexation what's another word for gleaming it's a perfectly perfect word as many words ago. But the bother is nothing rhymes, you see. Uh, so how would you describe Spike's accent in that clip? RP-ish? Yeah, it's an RP-ish southern, accent. Southern English, for sure. Mm-hmm. Southern mm-hmm. English English and kind of RP-ish. Yeah, yeah. And he's in London. Um, um, now... He is writing his poetry. He's writing his poetry for Cecily, who's the woman uh, that he's in love with there. Uh, at the same party, some slightly posher sounding people at the party all start to rip into him, talking about his poetry being terrible, speaking about him behind his back, saying they call him William the Bloody because of his bloody awful poetry. Um, and uh, also at the same party, he, he reveals his affections for Cecily. And Cecily... The way she uh, rejects him, she says that um, that he is beneath her. Aww. 
specifically he's beneath her so this you know uh breaks his heart and he runs out into the street and out in the street is where he runs into drusilla his his vampire mommy and we see a scene where, where Drusilla turns Spike and it mirrors very much the scene where Darla turns Angel. You know, it's this kind of woman approaching him in the back alley. But where in the scene with Angel, Angel is like, show me the world. You know, he, he he's like, show me your world. There's no hesitation. In the scene with Spike, he's very attracted to Drusilla. And she says, like, would you like to kind of come with me, whatever? And he's like, yes, yes. And then he goes... I mean, mother's expecting me. So even in that moment, he's still thinking of his of his relationship with his mother. Do you know, with his kind of past life, there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more holding him to to where he came from, right? So Drusilla turns Spike, and immediately after he's turned, you will notice a change in his voice. We'll ravage the city together, my pet. They waste all of Europe. The three of us will teach the snobs and elitists with their folder all just what... Three? You, me, and Mother. We'll open up their veins and bathe in their blood as they scream our names across the... What? You... You want to bring your mum with us? You want to bring your mum with us? So, um, <laughs> I love Drusilla. It's so, so, so you good. Want to eat all the little children. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> the lamb is caught in the blackberry patch. Um, I feel like we need to do another episode just about Drusilla because I love her. So, so anyway, you, you notice immediately he's still an English accent, um, but he's, he's immediately, first of all, he's dropped his register. You know, he's not speaking as high-pitched. He's not speaking kind of as up in his mouth. He's speaking much more from his chest, from his throat. Um, and he he's less, like, he's less RP. He's mm. less RP already, right? Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Less RP. But not totally kind of what we come to know him as, which is quite, um, I don't know how you'd say it. It's like, it's kind of Cockney, but it's, would you call it a Cockney accent? Like what Spike's accent ends up in? Something along those lines. Well, I don't know. Is that what you would call estuary English? I've never quite, quite known the distinction. Well, interestingly enough, um, Anthony Stewart Head, uh, his his kind of natural accent, I believe, is supposed to be estuary, and he uh, coached the James Marsters in how to speak better with an English accent. Okay, so th- basically, Spike sounds like the actor who plays Giles. A little bit, yeah. Because the, a- the actor who plays Giles sounds a lot more posh uh, in the show. Like, he's he is English, but he puts on a posher voice. And in real uh-huh, life, he's, uh-huh. he's a bit more of a geezer, actually. It's quite it's very, very different. But yeah, he's already kind of moving into closer to Drusilla's accent. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because, again, if we think about Angel moving closer to Darla's accent... Uh, just yeah. just keep keeping these dynamics in, in mind. But also, what we hear in that scene is that Spike loves his mum so much that she <laughs> he wants to bring his mum, as as Drusilla says. There's definitely like, and this isn't something that I'd thought about before our discussion, but there's definitely something we kind of talked about with the kind of linguistic theory there, the role that's played by caregivers and peer group, and there's something interesting going on with vampires there, where like 
the sort of parent also then becomes the peer group exactly who they kind of hang out with exactly so exactly. i mean de- what i'm getting to here i feel in general is that vampire linguistics and human linguistics are quite different just as vampire identity and vampire social and probably vampire cognition as well mm-hmm, they're all mm-hmm. a little bit different from human those things how those things work for humans okay so, so the, the reason i chose that the reason i chose that clip as well is because it reveals a few different things one it reveals his accent is starting to change uh-huh. Two, it reveals that, you know, his relationship with his mum that he wants to bring in. Three, though, did you notice what he said to Drusilla about who they were specifically going to kill? I actually missed that. What did he say? He says... um, Going to open up their veins and bathe in their blood. But who is that? uh, He says, the three of us will teach those snobs and elitists with their folderol. So it also marks out Spike's relation to his old social group which rejected him and which he now rejects Uh so I feel like this social group functions quite a lot in the same way that Angel's father did for him it's the rejection and the sense of revenge and the distancing of yourself from that group Um, now he ends up turning his mother Mm -hmm. uh, into a vampire Uh, Because she's ill, and, you know, it's a way of kind of saving her as well, too. Whatever I was, that's not who I am anymore. Darling. It's who you'll always be. A limp, sentimental fool. And again, I like this because it mirrors what Darla says to Angel. Yeah, 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 that idea of, like, there's definitely a theme here about vampires kind of trying to reinvent themselves when they become vampires trying to sort of create new identities for themselves as vampires um who are no longer humans because i mean they they are like you know they the idea is that in buffy the vampire slayer the idea is that vampires are demons in what were formerly humans bodies right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so kind of that human self the human soul is gone so you would think that would be a good opportunity to reinvent yourself, but there's also definitely a thread here that your human self is going to follow you when you become a vampire, and you can't completely become a completely you can't completely shed your old identity. No, no, and even when even in the shedding of that identity, you you prove the power that identity still has over you. Uh huh. Um. So I think the the next clip here. Uh, so, so just to say that um, Spike got turned in 1880, mm-hmm. and still in 1880, we see a few scenes uh, again of Spike and Angel uh, kind of killing people, having fun together. They've they're new. They've got a new friendship based on kind of killing and torturing people. But then it becomes a kind of a weird triangulated sexy thing where there's a lot of sexual tension between Spike and Angel because of, you know basically it's like two two guys two girls you know they're all vampires and as we've learned vampires are quite immature so the the, the sort of relationship dynamics between the four of them get very complicated um but still in 1880 at some point over this year some point during this year that he got turned uh his peer group starts to notice his accent changing his new mm. vampire peer group which is to say uh angel it's Spike now. 
You'd do well to remember it, mate. I'm not your mate. And when did you start talking like that? There's a lot going on in that, so we I kind of should have really emphasized earlier, but as I say, he was born William Pratt, and then he he assumes the name Spike mm. once he becomes a vampire. Uh, and as also we should kind of have said that obviously Angel was was, was born Liam, Liam, and he assumed the name Angel when he became a vampire. Mm. So there is like a naming thing here too. But what I want to point out about that clip is that in the same sentence where he reaffirms his new identity, I'm Spike, you know, not William, uh, he says i'm it's spike now mate and then angel says i'm not your mate and when did you start talking like that yeah so his peer group's picking up on the accent change there's almost kind of a little bit of a scolding going on there because it's mm -hmm. obviously it's happened so fast and it's happened visibly to them right but he specifically had like you know what was the first thing he wanted to do when he became a vampire was to kill all those elitists and those snobs yeah. those snobs that made, that bullied him those snobs that rejected him that said they, that he was beneath them uh, that mm. made fun of his poetry uh, so when he changes to this different form of uh, you know southeast English accent uh, that is part of him, you know, very, very consciously, to my mind, moving away and rejecting that milieu that held so much power over him as a, as a human. Much, much mm -hmm. in the same way that Angel does with his father. Very. You've brought this together really mm -hmm. well. And also this is career making strengthening sense. that or possibly lending into different directions we also see that um, despite everything, Spike stays with his uh, English accent, right? But he also has got the accent of his sire the whole way through, much in the same way that Angel ends up with the accent of his sire. So even Absolutely. depending on which way you want to kind of read about it, um, there, there's quite a lot that's affirmed there between relationships, identity. And I, I think it actually, I mean, it's a, it's a confusing data set in a lot of ways. Um, it's a little bit confounding. But I do think there are strands there about identity and accent yeah. shift. That, that really do bear out with the literature. Absolutely. And yeah, so in in many ways, what we're finding is that, you know, as, as we said before, vampire linguistics and human linguistics aren't exactly the same. And we shouldn't, we probably shouldn't try to read vampire linguistics purely through the prism of human linguistics, because it is quite different. But I think we've also found that human linguistics can certainly shed some light on vampire linguistics. After all, vampires have their roots in human human lives, as we've spoken about. You know, you can't, if you're a vampire, you can't ever truly, completely leave behind your human identity. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's really interesting, kind of, so, because on a surface level, Angel and Spike represent two very different cases in terms of accent change, where... Angel, we see someone who as a human had this Irish accent and pretty much almost as soon as he set foot on American soil totally became American sounding. Mm -hmm. Spike, so when we know and love Spike the best, he is he living in California at that point? He's living in California, but yeah, I didn't really update you. So, you know, from mm. uh, from 1880 onwards, he basically spends quite a lot of time moving through Europe in different places with Angel and uh, 
Darla for a while and then eventually just with Drusilla we see um, a great scene of them that I really should have showed you the clip of in like 1954 in Italy and it's shot in black and white and they're very like new wave and stuff and it's just him and Drusilla holding cocktails and going ciao 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 and there's 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 a lot of um you know Spike and Drusilla are always naming European cities remember Vienna remember Budapest so you know while Angel arrived in America in 1902 Spike and Drusilla have been kind of traveling around the world constantly kind of laying waste to it uh, we do know that Spike was in America in the 70s because that's when he killed the Slayer in 1977 in New York. Um, but we don't know that he, we don't think he stayed in America. We feel like he, him and Drusilla continued traveling the world. He just, you know, traveled there to, to kill the Slayer and came back. He ends up in, in California in the 90s, but we are to assume that he's never really stayed still. He stayed with Drusilla traveling the world that whole time. And if he's just with one other person who has an English accent during that time, who's both his mommy and his lover, um, you know, then... So, so, cause at, at first, so at first glance, they look like very different cases because you're like, oh, here's Angel who used to have an Irish accent who now has an American accent. Here's Spike who, as a human, had this southern British English accent who still has a southern British, British English accent. Mm-hmm. But what you've pointed out is that if you look just slightly below that surface level, that's maybe not as surprising as you might expect it to be because, for one thing, we do see Spike go through an accent change. It's just that it's more of a social accent change, less of a geographical Mm -hmm. one. Um, And in both cases, in the case of Angel and Spike, we see their accents moving towards the accents of their sires. So clearly that it seems to be a big influence and an important influence for vampires um and in both cases if we look at their kind of ideological identity things that they've got going on in their lives and in their journey from being humans to vampires both of them not so much reacting towards something but reacting away from something yeah yeah in both cases so in angel's case reacting away from his family but also presumably his kind of wider community and their expectations of him yeah and the f- and the well. fact that he wanted to see the world even as a human yeah right? yeah um and then in spike's case he's reacting against this kind of elite um group of snobs who didn't who didn't like yeah him. that never saw him as part of them but at the same time he had he he had this relationship with his mother which is very strong so he didn't mm. feel the need to sort of kind of um deny that part of his identity in the same way that angel did mm. yeah and they're very contrasting relationships with mm-hmm. their parents that we see um very interesting yes yeah, so, so do you have anything else to sort of any points you would like to conclude on with? I feel like we've sort of come a long way in this piece of research in our sort of understanding or our, I mean, we should say we're being very tentative. You know, we've got these two case studies, so it's a very small sample size. Yeah. I mean, I think it would, it would but, make a, a great further research project for, for someone who had kind of more funding and a larger team, do you know? We really just need more research on uh, vampire linguistics. Um, you know, ours is obviously modelled on a television show, so um, perhaps some uh, empirical research, some data gathering from uh, 
real life vampires. Yeah, like yeah, real life vampires. And then I guess also vampires in literature to see about how their accent has been captured um, in, you know, letters on a page as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I would personally love to see some uh, case studies of other famous vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps I, there's so many <laughs> examples to count, but I would... There's, there's, there's a lot that could be done yeah. there. <clears throat> and I think, yeah, I think if we kind of have any really like big, broad conclusions to draw, which I think will help future research, I think one of the things is that, as I was kind of stating before, but it would be wrong for us to sort of to only see vampire linguistics as like a, an extension of human linguistics. I think it has to be seen as it has to develop as a field in its own right really separate from human linguistics although informed by yeah informed by because there are uh obviously very similar external dynamics at work on vampires but maybe quite different internal dynamics as we've discussed yeah you know and then also some of those external or some of those dynamical kind of relationships are superimposed on top of each other in vampires in ways that they don't tend to be ideally in human relationships for instance this sort of kind of strange parental but also um uh like you know romantic partner relationship that they tend to have uh, often with their um you know antecedents like their direct antecedents their sires as they're known yeah, in the show yeah because i think someone who hadn't looked into it as much might kind of assume that um a vampire lifespan is just a human lifespan extended but we know that that's very much not yeah sometimes it's reversed Um, (laughs) there's all all sorts of different things going on in terms of the aging process in terms of development maturity in terms of sexual relationships with the person who is also your parent there's just all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. going on um and you know i would like to see because we've kind of done this kind of sociolinguistics I would like to see some I'd like to see perception studies with vampires like some people maybe get some vampires in the lab I think that could be oh cool. yeah yeah that'd be amazing um you know do some kind of laboratory studies um with vampire linguistics like um maybe ultrasound their tongues yeah. see what their tongues do when they're yeah you know? and I mean we haven't even kind of got into the like, you know because obviously their face changes when they become vampires absolutely what does that do to the phonetics yeah a lot of lisping a lot of lisping to be honest a lot of mm. yeah a lot a lot of kind of hot s's mm. and then with such a kind of yeah we really need we need we need to build up a picture of vampire linguistics around the world mm-hmm. i think that's quite so if we do have any vampires listening who'd like to be part of the project mm. uh your email's on site is it sadie yeah 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 um, if we have anybody listening who works for like a research funding body <laughs> yeah, as well, yeah. who, who wants to get in touch, I know that's not normally how it works, but like I, I can't really be asked writing a grant proposal or anything. I mean, this, this so, was uh, our grant proposal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to email this audio file <laughs> to the HRC. <laughs> They've, they've got. Like, I've yeah, said my piece. Yeah, they've got. I, I, I dropped the mic. They've got nothing better to do at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take seventy thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lot of equipment we need. <laughs> <laughs>